it is the black work of an ungodly man or an atheist that God is not in all his thoughts. What comfort can be had in the being of God without thinking of him with reverence and delight? A God forgotten is as good as no God to us. One might as well embrace the void. If anyone was ever going to make it back from the void, I suppose it was going to be you. Oh, well, you know, one man's void is another man's piece of cake. What about the reality we left behind? What about the reality where Hitler cured cancer, Morty? The answer is don't think about it. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 233 of Embrace the Void, where our mutual disbelief binds us together. I am your host, Aaron, and this week we are talking about the state of organized atheism. So, let's make with the heresies. All life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting in... something. My guest this week is Hemant Mehta, co-host of the Friendly Atheist podcast, host of the Friendly Atheist YouTube channel. He's also a contributor at Only Sky, a news and commentary website aimed at non-believers, as well as the author of several books, including Young Atheist's Survival Guide and I Sold My Soul on eBay. Hemant, would you like to say hi to the void? Hello, void. Hi, Aaron. Thank you. No, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. I'm a big fan of the work that you do in this area of things, and I'm excited to pick (laughs) your brain a little bit about uh, your approach here. So Mm -hmm. um, first of all, just to get us started, could you say a little bit about how you actually ended up in this activism space and like what really motivates you to be doing this particular work? Yeah, I'll try to give you the short version of it, but I mean, I basically mm-hmm. became an atheist in high school, and at the time, the number of resources for atheism in general, very limited, internet was very nascent, so like not a lot of options there. I wasn't like persecuted mm-hmm. or anything, but it was definitely hard to meet other atheists. So in college, I ended up starting a group for atheists with uh, someone I ended up meeting at the college who was interested in the same thing. And through that campus group, I got involved with the larger like national atheist activism groups that I did not know existed. But one in mm-hmm. particular was the Secular Student Alliance, which it's like Campus Crusade for Christ, but for atheists and like without the money, you know. And so Mm -hmm. I got involved with them on their board of directors. And it was cool because that kind of introduced me to this world of atheist activism, which, you know, to my shock, was not at all really interested in trying to uh, deconvert people. But there were Mm -hmm. legal issues when it came to religious privilege. And there were, you know, political issues that nonprofits don't get involved with per se. But these are things that we were talking about at the time. And so that was one thing happening while I was in the middle of trying to get, you know, my undergrad degree and later a grad degree. And after I decided to, I wasn't happy with where my grad school stuff was going. I just wasn't enjoying it. And mm-hmm. at the time, I'm again, I'm trying to make a long story short, but at the time I kind of right. ran this little experiment because a lot of the people I met in that world of activism they, they were all atheists who came from predominantly Christian backgrounds. And, mm-hmm. you know, my understanding of Christianity was relatively limited because I didn't grow up in it. I knew about it. I knew some basic stuff, but like I didn't have that personal experience. So I said uh, stupidly on eBay, like, hey, this sounds like it'll be fun. I'll go to church wherever the highest bidder wants me to go. I'll donate that money to charity. Um, and to my shock, the way it worked out, is that this pastor who was kind of fed up with the way church operates, he won the auction. Mm-hmm. He said, I want you to don't go to one church. That would be boring. 
go to a whole bunch of churches that represent kind of the spectrum of evangelical Christianity and write about it on his ministry website. And his whole ministry mm-hmm. is like, Christians, you're doing it wrong. I want you to do it better. So this was right up his alley where it's like, here's what an atheist who is your target audience to a lot of these evangelical churches. He's like, well, here's what he says about you. So what are you going to do about it? Because I want you as churches to do a better job of reaching atheists. But this guy mm-hmm. went to your type of church and he hated it. So fix it. That That's his mission. And, and you were okay was, with being used as propaganda in that way? I, I was well aware of what my role in this was. And you know what? They mm-hmm. basically said, write whatever you want. And they gave he gave me free reign to write about it. And a Christian book mm-hmm. publisher said, this is interesting because evangelicals specifically have so many programs targeting non-religious, non-Christian people. Um, mm-hmm. So, And they had never done it before either, where they said, why don't we have one of the people in that target audience just why don't we expand this? We'll go. We'll send you to more churches. We'll send you to living rooms and like Joel Osteen's mega church. Everything in between. We'll send you to a variety of places, and we'll turn that into a book. That was I sold my soul on eBay. But the so, the reason I mentioned yeah. that is because that was the first time I'd been writing about my thoughts as an atheist on a blog and getting the feedback that comes with that. So even after that book and that experiment were over. It was like, I kind of like the idea of sharing these thoughts and getting that feedback and having this ongoing conversation. That's what started, you know, my website, Mm -hmm. Friendly Atheist, and writing about it and kind of putting myself into the mix. Sorry for the long story. (laughs) No, no, that's perfect. That's a lot of great stuff to work with there. So I have have many questions, but let me try to get them in order. So first of all, this idea, I sold my soul on eBay. It's certainly, I think, if you just looked at it, you wouldn't realize that it's a, a book by a Christian publisher aimed at a Christian audience, right? It looks exactly. like trolling exactly. from atheists for <laughs> atheists, right? Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, this is interesting because no one ever really, I since you're digging into that, um, yeah. the Christian publisher that I ended up working with had a reputation for being like the edgy Christian book publisher. <laughs> um, and I, think I see. They, you, found, they, you found the IDW of Christian publishing is what you're saying. Yeah. And I think they actually, I don't know if it was the same company or like what they got rebranded as later, but they ended up publishing a book, for example, by a gay, right, a, a gay speaker who was making an argument that the Bible supports gay rights. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's a controversial thing to say to evangelicals as well. But they also published that book later on. So like this idea of they liked publishing books that challenged Christianity and not just gave them Jesus in a different form. And mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. in case anyone's curious, I felt like they treated me professionally when they offered edits to what I wrote. It was to make my voice stand out more. Mm -hmm. They never censored me. They never said, don't write this or anything. They just offered good suggestions for how my thinking could come out more clearly. So I had a really positive experience with them, but it was intended for a Christian audience to say, Mm -hmm. well, damn, this is what our church is doing and it fails, you know? So... (laughs) So did you have a sense, you mentioned that like the getting the feedback became part of this for you. What was the feedback like on the book? Was it like, did a fair number of people, do you think that they read it and took it to heart? Was it like this edgy publisher was, you know, getting hate reads or like, do you have a sense of the balance of, of actual feedback there? I don't have raw data for you, but anecdotally, I mean, it's overwhelmingly been positive from atheists who have read it and kind of understood where I was coming from and by and large from Christians who saw it and understood what the point of the book was. Because listen, Mm -hmm. this was written Mm -hmm. at a time. I feel like I'm a lot angrier and a lot more critical of church now than I was at the time. But again, if the purpose was to say, look, these churches have seeker services, they specifically want to reach atheists, and here's what they're doing to bring Mm -hmm. in that audience, and I'm going in there and saying, oh my God, no, you can't say any of those things, or that is factually wrong, or here's why I don't trust the things that you're doing— I think everyone can look at that and say, like, you don't have to agree with me on that, but you get what I'm trying to do. And listen, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm sure at the time there were churches or pastors who said, hey, thank you for what you did, and we're changing our approach. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing right there. 
but um, they read it and they said, okay, you know what? If we are trying to reach people who are not already in our bubble, um, we got to be better about how we do it because it's not coming mm-hmm. off the way we intend. And I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's a good, you know, it's one of those steel manning your opponent type of things where it's like, right. Listen, you you do whatever you think you need to do because I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> so if right. it made you less judgmental of us or less, I'll give you one example of it. They uh, Several churches had this implication that if you didn't have God in your life, you were lost, you were broken, there must be something wrong with you. As atheists, we've all heard that before. Um, but when they spell it out like, listen, I was so broken, but then I found Jesus and everything was much better. It's like, well... You're talking to someone who is not broken, who doesn't feel that way, who's, Mm -hmm, you know, if I'm ever mm -hmm. depressed, it's not clinical. It's a regular sort of, oh, well, that sucked. You know what I mean? So to imply that everyone who doesn't have God must be have this Jesus shaped hole in their heart. Like you're kind of making an assumption that's just unfair for a lot of people. I mean, why don't you just go in with the assumption that, oh, these people have thought about it and came to a different conclusion about God. And if we want to reach them with the gospel, you can't assume they're missing an argument or that there's something wrong in their life that needs to be fixed. Go in thinking, no, they're smart. They've thought about this. They came to a different conclusion. And the only way we can try to win them back is by offering something better, um, mm-hmm. trying to anyway. And I mean, they haven't, mm-hmm. like- but... <laughs> But maybe a positive model like community or something, potentially. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, really, I've said this more recently, too, which is they do churches, by and large, not the mm-hmm. not the evil ones, but the ones that try. Um, they do community really well. They do charity really well. They make it really hard for people like me to criticize them because, I mean, I can think their beliefs are wrong. But when I see what they're doing with their beliefs, if it's really good stuff and they're helping their community... It doesn't make mm-hmm. me believe in God, but man, it makes it really hard to find low-hanging fruit to go after, you right. know, so. Well, yeah, and this is something that I think I want to really stick on, uh, you know, as as in people who are interested in community organizing in secular communities. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the big knocks on non-believers, and there's, like, debate about if it's psychological or cultural or what, but, like, we have a harder time, it seems like, developing and sustaining community. Right. Um, and, you know, there's a couple ways we can go at this. The first I want to is talk about movement atheism here a little yeah. bit, because it seems like from where I sit, like movement atheism has some continuing ongoing image problems. Oh, yeah, um, for and sure. I'm, I'm, OK, so you agree. So what, what mm-hmm. are the particular image problems that you worry about when it comes to sort of movement non-believer activities? It's explicitly anti-theist, which gets boring or doesn't do much for you after you've already become an atheist. It's a club for older white guys. Uh, It's not very accepting, at least not explicitly so, of different people who might have different opinions on a variety of other things. Um, Mm -hmm. And and in terms of community and stuff, again, I guess I would put it this way. I am an atheist. I don't need convincing of that anymore. What group is out there for me? Um, Mm -hmm. Not necessarily a ton of them. I mean, I personally, I like supporting groups that are doing legal actions when it comes to religious discrimination or Christian nationalism, things like that. I like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Do I go to, there are some, I mean, I'm not far from Chicago. There are local groups around me, atheist groups and stuff. I don't attend regularly. It's not that I don't like them and I don't appreciate them, but like, what am I going to go there for? I don't need convincing. I So as much as I might appreciate someone talking about why God doesn't exist, like, I'm good. I, I don't need that. Um, so it's a question of like, mm-hmm. well, what is it that's drawing you in week after week? Because I don't need what church offers, which is the constant reinforcement that you're right mm-hmm. and this is a good thing. Like, I'm, I'm okay on that front. So... You know, when you have groups that meet, it's really hard to find a glue that brings people in week in and week out. And there are some that do it really well. Um, but again, it's like, why do I want to be a member of these groups? And again, I've been around that movement long enough to see who they leave out, what they are not talking about, what they don't touch. Um, right. And it's easy to get kind of um, cynical about it all. 
Yeah, so I, I want to unpack this some because this is mm-hmm. something that I've been doing research on and I'm particularly concerned about because I guess, you know, for me, the, in answer to the question, why do I want to be a part of those those communities, it seems that I, I think one answer would be because it's healthy for me to be a part of them. That like To be a part um, of a community. A community, right. Yes. Right. So, but specifically a community that I think is unified around certain values of so, which being a non-believer yeah. is one of them, right? So, so this okay. gets into this, you know, yeah, go ahead. No, go I'm sorry. I don't in. mean to interrupt you, but okay. So this is kind of the thing. You, you know, when those like atheist churches, quote unquote, popped up and they sure. were popular to some extent, uh, a couple different varieties of them, by and large, with maybe some exceptions, they haven't worked. And I think one mm-hmm. of the reasons they haven't worked is because being an atheist is not the glue that holds people together, or at least it's not a strong enough glue that holds people together to the point where they're coming week after week. The right. more successful atheist like local groups that exist, they have something going on that once makes you come back, whether it's charity work, volunteer work, a, a sense of friendship and community that goes beyond their non-belief in God. But here's the thing that's interesting that I found that a lot of the people that were motivated by a sense of uh, we want people to become atheists because those resources are not out there. We're right about this thing that so many people are wrong about. And I mean, that is kind of why I got into the movement. I Mm -hmm. don't feel there's a need for that as much anymore, because if you're looking for like, why should I be an atheist? Think about all the things that are out there for someone who knows how Google works you know, you mm-hmm. have YouTube, podcasts, books, res- groups, resources. That stuff is there. A lot of the activists that I've worked with for so long, they have since moved on to working with groups that focus on LGBTQ plus rights or abortion mm-hmm. rights or liberal political activism and po- getting people elected. They've The people that got invested in trying to help people become atheists are not necessarily doing that anymore. Not, not that other people aren't, but that so many of them have have asked that same question you just asked, which is, what is the thing that is driving me and pushing me and keeps me coming back for more? And it's not within organized atheism. It's using those secular values and pushing for them in other realms where there is an active, ongoing fight and a cause to fight for And Mm -hmm. you're needed. You're needed on those fronts. I don't necessarily see the same need um, as an atheist activist, per se, because, frankly, there are plenty of really awesome progressive religious people, not just Christians, progressive Muslims, progressive other people, too. And we're all fighting on the same side on other issues. And those seem like more pressing concerns right now. Do I feel a need to fight them on the God question? No. that I mean, that is not the head of the monster of irrationality and illogical thinking, which is something I used to think one time. I thought, you know, Mm -hmm. belief in God was the hardest thing to cure people of. And if you could do that, it would be like a domino effect and all the, they would become rational in all these other ways. And the fact is, I think I'm wrong on that. Um, So a lot Mm -hmm. of, a lot of really great activists that I met, uh, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, they're still activists. They're still motivated by fighting for the righteous cause, but those causes are not necessarily getting people to become atheists. It's using the fact that God doesn't exist and we got to fix the world we live in to do other kinds of activism. So that to me yeah. has been an interesting move. Like it's yeah. it just kind of shifted laterally to other areas. Yeah. So, I mean, from my perspective, what I saw happen, this was sort of happening as I joined, you know, like the say I found out that there's movement atheism sort of the way that you did at some point along mm-hmm. that journey. I'm like, oh, there's all this stuff going on. And it was right in the midst of what seemed to me a giant culture war schism between people who wanted just atheism. Right. They wanted, right, like you right. were saying, we're just going to talk about why the Bible is wrong right. until the end of time. Yeah. Um, and then the folks who wanted to do like atheism plus or something like that, yeah. where it's like. You know, we want to make this about a social justice kind of issue. And obviously there's been a giant fight and they don't talk to each other anymore. Um, But I I guess I feel to me there is a value in. So you've talked about the Secular Student Alliance, for example, um, having those kind of explicitly non-believer centered spaces 
for mm-hmm. especially young individuals who are coming from heavily religious backgrounds. Yeah. I do think there is an identity community element there that is really, really valuable. And I think it's important to me that rather than thinking of it like, you know, all of the atheist um, uh, advocates have moved on to LGBT groups, but what we want is them for them to come back and fix movement atheism so that LGBT youth who are non-believers can come into those spaces, meet other non-believers and mm-hmm. and have that be functional for them and not feel like they're going to have to be anxious about their trans identity or something like that. That seems to me right. to be a reason to keep not just doing movement atheism, but doing it specifically in this like atheism plus social justice. Well, so let me back up a little bit there. Um, I think you're mm-hmm. absolutely right where it is definitely helpful to kind of have those spaces uh, especially for younger people who are maybe coming into this for the first time. I remember when I worked with the Secular Student Alliance, it fascinated me that in states like, I don't know, Alabama, Texas, it was so easy to launch groups and have really big ones that seem successful. To, and by that, I mean, they were putting on events all the time. They were doing things all the time. Whereas in more liberal blue states, it was really hard to get that going because there were so many options. I mean, you you weren't inundated by religion everywhere. But if you were like a gay kid in Texas or an atheist in Mississippi, yeah, you mm-hmm. want that group. You want that. Now, here's the question. When you graduate, and let's say you're living in a city where eh, religion's not in your face all the time, do you still need that particular group? And I think for a lot of the people that I was kind of in quote unquote movement atheism with, it's like, okay, I'm older now. I do not, I, I'm not lacking for that particular community anymore of like-minded individuals whose values I share. And so mm-hmm. I think, uh, I, I don't want to try to downplay the atheism plus thing you mentioned, but it's like, okay, we are here. We know what, we are atheists. I don't need convincing of that anymore. So the lectures on why the Bible is wrong do nothing sure. for me, right? So yeah, it's like, okay, I agree on that. I am an atheist. So what do I do with these secular values? And it's like, well, let's talk about the things religion tends to be an obstacle for, which is LGBTQ mm. rights, to name an mm-hmm. obvious example, women's rights. Um, I could go on from there. There's a bunch of other issues that religion has been an obstacle for. And yet a lot of the groups that were so gung-ho about, like, let's make people atheists, they just didn't seem to care as much about any of that stuff. And also, Mm -hmm. that alienates you if you are a woman who's like, yeah, okay, religion is a problem. I'm with you on that. But why is religion a problem? It's because it's also impacting my ability to make reproductive health decisions. Right, because patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. And and none of these groups seem focused on that stuff because they're so hung up on, yeah, but the Bible's wrong or this person, let's have this debate over God's existence. Yeah, but to what end? And if mm-hmm. these bigger groups are not talking beyond the God question, it's like, okay, that's cool when I'm first getting interested in this. And I, I've never heard these debates before. That is useful and valuable. And once mm-hmm. you have passed that point, because, again, I don't know how old you are, but we're roughly maybe in the same ballpark. But for those of us who are no longer, I guess, first-generation atheists, where it's like, yeah, I grew up and religion just wasn't in my life like that. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm an atheist. You've convinced me. You want to know where's the where are we talking about how religion hurts us and how we could fight right. for those causes? That to me is what atheism plus was. Let's make space for those people. And if you're sharing, if you're kind of having the same mindset as the religious side of yeah, trans people are whatever. Let's tr- talk shit mm-hmm. about them. Or gay rights are not that important. Or we will support conservatives who are fine with backing anti-gay legislation it's like have we really achieved anything at that point because what good is it that you're an atheist if you are still perpetuating the same kind of bigotry that we were fighting the christian right all about and i think that i don't know if it was the methodology of how to talk about that or what but i mean this Mm -hmm. is kind of 
this is kind of one of the schisms I guess I'm still seeing mm-hmm. today where you do have some atheists who call themselves activists, but what are they doing? They're pushing for atheism while totally ignoring or joining up with the Christian right people who push for the same awful things for different reasons. I don't know how that counts as a win for atheism. Right. So while I'm getting you totally canceled here for being woke, let me <laughs> let me go all yeah. in here because, you know, one of the stereotypes that you volunteered up yourself and there's yeah. plenty of data to support this is that uh, we are perceived as a community for older white dudes, yeah, mostly yeah. cis, you know, het white dudes. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm curious what we do about that, because I think it's important that we as non-believers emphasize and, and like American atheism has started doing this, emphasize the white part of white Christian nationalism as being part of the problem. But it's hard for us to make that argument when we're not sort of acknowledging the kind (laughs) of white problem within our own community. And this is another reason that I think it's really important to still have movement atheism is because, you know, for a white guy like me, it's not a big deal. But for a lot of people of color, it's still a much harder road to get to being an open non-believer, especially if you're coming from a community that centers around the church. So I guess let me ask you, do you have any thoughts on how, as a big question, how movement atheism should be trying to um, counteract that stereotype? Yeah. So a couple things to point out. One is, and you mentioned this, and I, I think it's absolutely true. Um, when you're coming from, let's say, a black background where church is a part of the social fabric, it's a lot harder to just say, I don't believe the Bible um, or try to say, I don't want to go to church. They, those are different issues than the ones white people might face in the U.S. So it takes a different methodology, like saying just be an atheist or this is how to come out to your family. Those are helpful pieces of advice for new atheists, literally new atheists. But it's not the same when you're an ex-Muslim or when you're trying to come from that background or a a background of color where church is such a big part of the culture. And it's not really about the standard Christian apologetics. It's just a part of who your family is. I mean, for me personally, I wasn't ever afraid of coming out as an atheist. But I know to my family, it felt like I was turning my back on being Indian Um, And that's Mm -hmm. a different issue that, like, I don't think Richard Dawkins, for example, would understand as well. So that's not to knock him on that. Why would he know? But he doesn't know. So you know what I mean? So that's one thing. We have Mm -hmm. to acknowledge that, uh, like, I've literally heard people criticize, like, well, why do we have to have, like, African-American humanism or, you know, black non-believers? Because they have different sets of issues that are not the same as the things, you know, the God delusion mentioned. So that's one thing. We have to just make space for all of that because those are different things. Here's another thing. And this is not the fault of like the new atheists, but the people who had the ability to get book deals at a time when people were talking about religion, the Sam Mm -hmm. Harris is a special case because he wasn't well known beforehand. But Dawkins was a well-known science writer. Hitchens was a well-known commentator. And they both used their platforms to say, I want to write about religion. And hey, more power to them. Their books have definitely influenced a lot of people. But here's the downside to that. When reporters and the media wanted to talk to people about atheism at a time when it seemed like a lot of people are talking about it, who did they go to? They went to those guys, which mm-hmm. I understand why. They were super popular. Their books were mass mass bestsellers. Um, the problem with that is for the general public, When you think of atheism, you think about mostly, and this is not a problem, Mm -hmm. but it is what happens. They think about those guys, Hitchens, Dawkins, comedians, Ricky Gervais, Bill Maher. I mean, there is no shortage of white guys you could point to as atheists. And this is not anyone, it's not those guys' fault, but this is the public perception of atheism. So what can we do to change that? Part of it is people with platforms, whether that's those individuals Um, Whether it's uh, podcasters, YouTubers with a following, whether it's the national organizations that hold conventions, they have to play a role here in saying, we're elevating these voices that we want you to hear because they have something to say. It's not going to change it overnight. It's not the same thing as Time Magazine explicitly like seeking out someone who is not, you know, white cis male or something. 
But it, it starts with us saying, hey, these are interesting voices who you ought to listen to because they're not saying anything different from those other guys, but they're also part of this diaspora here. And like mm-hmm. part of that mm-hmm. is getting into the public consciousness. I think there was a this there was a poll, maybe it was the Pew Research Center, where they asked the general public, like, who comes to mind when you think of atheist? And I think one of the ones at the top was Madeline Murray O'Hare, the founder of American Atheists, like for several decades, maybe the most notorious atheist. But she mm-hmm. was murdered like 25 years ago. And since then, I think also on the list were Dawkins, Bill Maher, Satan, by the way, for some weird reason. But it was those I mean, guys. Hail Satan. <laughs> right? Like, though, if there's nothing wrong with saying those guys are atheists, are the first names that come to mind when you think of atheists for most people. But also, we play a role in that. Who are we talking about? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, how do we change that? Part of it is elevating those voices on our end. And, I mean, Mm -hmm. I saw this with the American Humanist Association. I am not a part of them for any reason. But their executive director for, like, 20 years recently said, I'm stepping down. And he specifically said, I don't have control over who you choose to replace me. But he openly said, like, I'm asking the board of directors, choose someone who's not like me, who isn't white and it's. You don't have to, mm-hmm. but like I'm asking you to because I think it would be good for the movement and there's no shortage of qualified applicants here. And guess what? They found one. Um, and as I don't know. It's too early to tell how it's going to go. But I think that's important to do when you have a platform. Who are you putting up there? So I think that's one mm-hmm. way to change it. But I mean, the whole point here is to say the public perception of atheists really still 15 years later revolves around the new atheists. Right. And that's not an easy thing to change, but we have some control over that by saying, here are some people you ought to look at who are saying really interesting things. And guess what? They don't fit that mold that a lot of people have created. Mm-hmm. I think, well, okay, first of all, clear correction, right? Satan, obviously not an atheist, given that he's met <laughs> right. God, right? right? This is the, you know, anti-theist, maybe, right? But like, uh, <laughs> That's second thing That's why it was so there, funny. It's like, you know that, Satan wouldn't be an atheist and that atheists don't believe right. in Satan. Like, mm, yeah. <laughs> well, but if you watch Christian movies, they really do think that we would continue to not believe in God, even if we met God, which is just, <laughs> right. you know, it's right. part of the way it works, I guess. <laughs> um, but so this, this idea of representation, which is obviously a hot button topic. Um, but I, I generally agree with you that like representation is important. And, you know, you've talked as well about the importance of representation in places like politics. So you did a FFRF uh, talk yeah. where you talked about sort of increasing um, non-believer representation in politics. Now, I may, I may have gotten the vibe wrong there, but I mm-hmm. got the sense that you were somewhat optimistic about the way that atheism is changing in American politics, which is yeah. interesting because I, I just I was writing about this recently and I have the opposite experience. Oh, I'm okay. still relatively I'm relatively pessimistic about um, the role of atheism in politics. So maybe start maybe you could help me a little bit first with like yeah. what you're seeing that like is giving you a little bit of optimism there. Yeah. Um, the short answer is if you asked me like 15 years ago, are there any atheists in politics openly, openly atheists mm-hmm. in politics? No, no one could name anyone. Um, and right now, not only is there an openly atheistic humanist in Congress, Jared Huffman, there are like, mm-hmm. I think, 16 people who are part of the Free Thought Caucus which advocates on behalf of atheism and church-state separation, really. So that's one thing. Like that, mm-hmm. Even if you're AOC or someone super liberal, um, you would think associating with atheism would be kind of a, a death knell in politics. And yet 16 Democrats, at least, um, have said, no, I'm okay with joining the caucus. Uh, Jared Huffman. At, at the House uh, level, though, right? At the House level, at the House level. Okay. Um, and it hasn't hurt them. Um, Joe Biden's campaign, uh, which obviously was trying to get in with as many groups as they could before the election in 2020, um, worked with a group I was involved with called Humanists for Biden, just saying, look, we we do want to connect with you because we want to get the humanist vote. Barack Obama did not do that. I mean, so I mean, look, are those superficial things? Maybe. But I think that's worth noting. Here's another thing to keep in mind. There were, by my count, uh, oh, and of course, I don't have the number on me. There were like 60 to 70 openly non-religious politicians currently serving 
at the state level in state houses, state senates, mm-hmm. or higher. Um, they're like 60 to 70 who use some openly non-religious label and are not afraid of it. And also interesting, all of those people were running for office in the past couple of years. Almost none of them, even in races where, you know, they might have been really close races, their opponents, by and large, did not use atheism as a reason to attack them or to say they had no values or anything like that. That's a big change, too, because that used to be a slam dunk sort of thing in a race. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so the fact that, I mean, granted, it's the state level, but it's like, wow, there are people coming out as non-religious. They don't all use the term atheist, but they openly say, no, I don't believe in God. I'm non-theistic. I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious, whatever that means. But they'll use those lang- that language. And it's not a political thing because I think when it, happens now if someone said oh don't vote for that person they're an atheist i think it would backfire even among religious people because in certain places and the reason Mm -hmm. is it's like well who cares what they believe let's find out what they're gonna do i mean it's a lot easier to say that person is if you're a republican don't vote for that democrat because they're pro-abortion than it would be to say uh that person doesn't believe in god because it's like, yeah, well, so what? A lot of people don't believe in God. <laughs> like, Right. So so how do you feel then about, so there's evidence that suggests, for example, that you can negatively impact someone's um, trust factor, which is a big factor for elections, by simply insinuating that they are connected to atheism, not even outwardly saying that they are connected to atheism. Right. Do you, I don't doubt that. Do you that. worry that, yeah, okay. I don't doubt that So you feel like that, that still is a bit. problem? I mean, Mm -hmm. trust is, I mean, that's what a campaign is about, right? Who do you trust in this role? And sure, if if the whole goal is to knock down the trust factor in your opponent, I understand how that's a campaign thing. And yet what I'm telling you is following this stuff as closely as I have for many years, especially recently, atheism is not one of the ways they do it. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, again, that seems like such an easy thing to do, to say, you can't vote for that person because they don't believe in God. That, and there are so many things you could quote to that extent. Um, let me say two things about this. One is the opponents are just not doing it. If they want to knock the other person's trust, that's not one of their go-to methods, which is just a huge change. But also, mm-hmm. and this is, this is, I think, why it's a little easier for this to happen. Why is it so important for atheists to get elected to office? Um, one is none of these people are getting into office saying, I want to use my platform to promote atheism or get people to stop believing in God. None of them. Christians do that all the time. You know, I'm a Christian first, conservative second, Republican third, that sort of rhetoric. They want to get Mm -hmm. in office to promote Jesus and they use their social media accounts to advertise Christianity all the time. Atheists don't do that. So that's one thing. But also, I mean, think about this. If you name the famous atheists, in our in our culture, the Dawkins types, they're known for promoting atheism, right? Like that's how people know Richard Dawkins. He's the atheist. Bill Maher, mm-hmm. he's the atheist comedian who talks about politics. Ricky Gervais. Well, I think always. comedian's a little strong there, but sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yet, I think if you know a politician who you genuinely like, um, you it's I think this is a big deal when you talk about like Ilhan Omar being Muslim or Rashida Tlaib being Muslim, it's like that's not the main thing that defines them to their supporters. It's important because it's saying, well, here's a Muslim who represents my progressive values. Um, And I know if you're a Republican, it's easy to knock them down. They still get that sort of bigotry Mm -hmm. all the time. But I'm saying, like, imagine if you had a good politician with broad support, at least within the party, who's whole thing in office was here's what i'm doing for you as an elected official especially not at the not at the level of congress but at the state level or a mayor or something like that where it's like yeah i'm an atheist but like here's what i'm doing about the roads (laughs) it's Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. imagine if that person was in office was open about being an atheist but just happened to be a standard run-of-the-mill politician who you like or you don't like that would actually go a long way in changing the perception of atheists because they're in a job where their only their their main job is to make your life better. 
Mm. And by the way, they happen to be gay or they happen to be an atheist or they happen to be whatever. It's like, oh, like that's not the thing I think about. I just happen to like this person or I would vote for that person. Um, I, I think that matters. So when you talk about the representation at the at yeah. elected office, that's why it matters to me. Not because I want these people advertising atheism at those in their office. That's that's what I'm for. You know what I mean? Like I want them in office because they're openly atheist, but they're doing good things for other people, hopefully. And if more okay. people saw that, I think that would make it easier to say, no, atheism is not synonymous with immorality or Satanism or, you know, whatever you don't like. Right. And I mean, I do think there's a bit of a like bootstrapping problem here because we have this immoral atheist stereotype, which mm -hmm. is why there's this trust gap. Mm -hmm. um, and then the trust gap leads to less representation, which leads to not closing the trust gap. Right. Um, but, but how do you ask... close that trust gap otherwise? Because what I'm suggesting right. is when you're a politician who already knows how to win elections and has done it like Jared Huffman has in Congress. And then you say, oh, by the way, I happen to be an open humanist. Right. And it, and it gets crickets from the national press and even like right. conservative outlets. That makes a difference. That helps bridge that trust gap. So the fact that it's like, oh, well, whatever. I still like him. I voted for him and I still like him. That's important. So, I mean, I, I get the mm -hmm. thing you're talking about, but also how do you fix that other than having people who are already in that position or who have platforms who can help yeah. others come along the way. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's some other approaches, but I do think that's one, what seems to be a significant approach to changing minds about this. At the same time, let me ask you this question. Yeah, that I, yeah. I asked this of somebody who does research uh, on this, was on the show previously. Um, do you think we're going to see an openly out and proud atheist president in our lifetimes? Out being the key word there, right? Um, yeah. I wouldn't say no. It depends on the candidate and it depends on the political climate. And honestly, I, you could make a very good argument that Donald Trump was not himself religious, even though he tied himself to religious conservatives. Yeah, it doesn't really count, though. <laughs> that, well, right. that's the thing. Like, you, plenty he of held up a Bible in front of a church. You know, I'm talking about like somebody who doesn't hold up a Bible in front of a right. church. Um. If a progressive candidate that people liked or disliked ran for office and happened to— um, Bernie Sanders, I think, had as much of a chance as some other people, maybe. But, I mean, he's very open about the fact that, yeah, I'm, I think—I forgot what religious label he uses, but he's very much a, eh, God's everywhere, don't ask me about it, I don't care, here's what I am for. Um, I don't think his un-quote-unquote atheism— would have been the thing that kept him out of office. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I guess I, I think more, you know, like it's not, it's not like I think there's going to be a wave of people who rise up against overtly an atheist president so much as, you know, I think you and I have both looked at the Pew polls that say at the moment, you know, 60% of people say they'd be willing to vote for an, an atheist for president. Right, and right. it's like 55% say they'd be willing to vote for a socialist. And those things are like yeah. tied together in a lot of people's heads. So that's not surprising, right. I think, statistically. So, um, keep this in mind. Just it, that, that Gallup yeah. poll that you were talking about that they do every few years, for a long time, that would have said like, I don't, I'm making this up, but like 10% of people said I would yeah, vote for a it socialist. It was 18% when it started, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> or like socialist, for socialist. Oh, for socialist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But uh -huh. then when Bernie Sanders runs and he's saying, here's mm -hmm. what I am for, no matter what you label me as, what happens to the, the number of people who say they will vote for a socialist? Yeah, it's not like 90%, but it rises because it's like, Oh, sure. Yeah, like I like him yeah. or I don't like him. And that's the same thing with atheists. I think if you knew someone was an atheist and they were they were likable as a candidate for other reasons, I think all of a sudden you mm -hmm. would see that number jump up because a lot of people just wouldn't care. But right now, without a specific person in mind, just a when you ask that poll question, like, would you vote for an atheist? Right. It's like, oh, God, no. Why would I do that? Oh, well, would you right. vote for, I don't know, Barack Obama, the atheist? Well, if you're a Democrat, I don't know. It's like, yeah, who cares? Like, I like the guy. Maybe I'll vote for him. And they just wouldn't be bothered by that label as much. Now, would it? Would they be able to overcome all the political heat they would get for doing that? Depends on the candidate. Depends on the climate. 
But that's the thing. Like, mm -hmm. if you told me, could a gay person get elected a while ago? If Pete Buttigieg was the Democratic nominee, I don't know if he would have won or lost against someone like Donald Trump. But do hmm. I think him being gay is like the impediment to him winning uh, a high elected office in the future? Honestly, no. I don't think that's the biggest thing anyone would care about. I think they either like him or not like him based on his politics. But I don't think being yeah. gay would be the deciding factor. Because I think if you're a Republican, you're not going to vote for him anyway. I guess what I'm concerned about is there isn't one deciding factor, but what we yeah. have are elections that are increasingly extremely close and slanted away from the Democrats, if we're being honest, based on yeah. the way our electoral college works. Mm -hmm. So is there going, you know, to me, the question is, is there ever going to be a brilliant politician with the kind of handler who's willing to say, I will back you being openly non-believer, knowing that like that could be the half a percent margin in Florida or something like that. Like it doesn't, right. you know, you don't need much for the political climate to justify people continually sort of engaging in selective um, outness, right? Which is what like Bernie Sanders is doing or yeah. someone like that. Again, and that I, still gives that, the impression there's a problem, right? So that goes back to the political climate issue, which I agree with you, it exists. And what we're talking about is strategy, mm -hmm. right? Like, right. is it a strategic right. thing to do? I, I think if I were that person's campaign manager, the answer I would give is don't friggin' talk about it. Don't hide it. If someone says, what are your religious beliefs? It's okay to say I'm not religious. Um, I get my mm -hmm. values this way and that way. There is a political way to handle that question because what I do not want, and as a handler, I would say, don't friggin' do this. I am. You should not, as a politician, say, yeah, I'm an atheist. Here's why I don't believe in God. That's stupid. I don't want you to do that. But uh -huh. what you could do is say, oh, no, I, I personally am not religious, but I will tell you why I'm fighting for your religious freedom. And here's where I get my values from. And do the politician-y thing where I'm going to pivot your question into the one I want to answer. But yes, I think an openly, if it was a good, brilliant, savvy politician, this hypothetical person you're talking about, even in a state that is as uh, purple as Florida could mm -hmm. be in certain times— you could get away with that if you know how to talk about the issue. Um, I, I'm going back to Buttigieg, who, by the way, I'm not particularly a fan of his politics, but I thought the way he talked about abortion when he was running for president, and he talked, I think he was asked uh, by a Fox News anchor about his thoughts about like late-term abortions or something, and he gave this amazing answer, anyone can Google it and find it, about like, I don't want to quote him because I'm not going to do it justice, but he was able to answer that question in a way that I thought was both honest and truthful and didn't hide away from his pro-choice values, but also was a very savvy way to handle the question for a conservative crowd. It's like you could do that with anything. You could do that with immigration issues and you could do it with religion too. But again, I think here's the difference between what you were suggesting. Could you get away with doing it with even a, a handler saying, I'm okay with you doing it? You could, but not if the atheist politician is going to talk about why they're an atheist. Because, yeah, that would be pretty damaging. Hmm. What they have to do is say, yeah, here's what I here I am an atheist, but let me talk about you. Let me talk about why I'm fighting for your values and your religious values, because I am not against your religious beliefs in any way. You could get away with doing that if you knew how to do it. You know what I mean? So that's mm -hmm. why I think, is it possible to see an atheist president, I mean, or an, or an atheist Supreme Court justice, which doesn't exist right now, or anything like that? Yeah, it's possible, but it requires them just not using that particular platform to dwell on it. It's just acknowledging, yeah, this is who I am, but let me bring it back to you. Yeah, and that still feels a little not perfect to me, but I, I get where you're coming from. Um, do you wonder if it's harder to imagine that being possible because it's very difficult, I think, to come up with a example of a positive atheist president character in a movie or anything really for that matter? I mean, two things. One is I think it helps when you have cultural icons or cultural characters that everyone can point to and say, I love Ted Lasso. If Ted Lasso came out as an atheist, that would be awesome PR for atheism. Um, but I'll right. tell you what, in Nebraska, which is by no means a blue state, uh, I think it's overwhelmingly Republican, actually. But 
this is a state senator I've mentioned in several talks. There's a senator named Megan Hunt uh, who ran for office, I think, in 2018 for the first time ever. And I remember seeing they were just it was her versus another person for their primary was it the primary? I, no, I think this was for the actual seat. It was her versus someone mm-hmm. else. And a local paper did like the standard short profile, like answer these biographical questions about yourself. And they said, what's your religion? And she wrote atheist on there. And like the newspaper printed the little sidebar and it said she's an atheist. And I'm like, oh God, no, she's going to lose now, right? And the thing mm-hmm. is, no, she ended up winning and she's been in office since then. And I'm telling you, as a progressive myself, I love everything she stands for. She's amazing as a politician, but also she would be the first one to tell you, yeah, I'm an atheist, but who the hell cares? Like, she never talks about it. It's not a thing. If you ask her point blank, what do you believe? She'll tell you she's an atheist. But she doesn't use that platform to do it. She will always talk about what she stands for and why she's fighting for certain issues. And as a politician, She's really good at it. And there's Mm -hmm. your blueprint right there. If you had more people like her in office, I think they would have a better chance of getting elected. And if more people could see, again, if you're a Democrat and you like her values, if you saw more Mm -hmm. people like her, it would be like, that that would be a whole sea change for atheism just as much as the Ted Lasso hypothetical there. Because when more people are like, oh, you don't fit the stereotype I always grew up thinking about when it comes to atheism, that's how you right. change their minds, right? Like, it right. happened for LGBTQ people. There were just so many examples, some bad, but a lot of them are just like, oh, that person I like happens to be gay. Oh, I guess that's not such a bad thing. That changes minds over the long term. Yeah, and this comes at another sort of method that I've seen some people suggesting about how to push back and and counteract the immoral atheist stereotype. Um, you know, traditionally, the understanding of the stereotype has been, you know, that atheists were viewed as bad from the believer standpoint because they didn't have those kind of community values like mm-hmm. respect for authority and loyalty and purity to use the kind of yeah. um, moral yeah. foundations language, right? But there's an interesting new study that I just read that came out that says actually what you find is that the persistent stereotype is that Weirdly enough, non-believers are viewed as not being compassionate enough, not caring Mm. enough, despite all of the sort of moral foundations evidence pointing to them being amongst the communities that like prioritize care above the other foundations fairly significantly. Um, So what I get, you know, part of what I take away from what you're saying there is that like this is an example of where we can push back on the stereotype just by emphasizing our core values of what we care about and how we care about them and how we want to try to change them rather than trying to like ape authoritarian appeal yeah. or something like that. Yeah, no, there's like that's a, yeah. I, mm-hmm. You're right on track that. And by the way, some of the like local really successful atheist groups that is what they do. And they might do it with a religious group. They might do a volunteering project together. Um, I saw a lot of the campus atheist groups do that when I was with Secular Student Alliance. They would join forces with the religious group and do like an alternative spring break trip or charity work mm-hmm. or go to a soup kitchen or something like that. Or do garbage cleanup. Oh, my God. So many atheist groups do like highway litter cleanup, too. They get their name on their sign. They do the pickup. They're helping the community. And it's and it's mm-hmm. always fun when local news covers those stories because the comments are like, you see people like, I don't want to <laughs> like them, but they're kind of doing an awesome thing that I can't really pick apart there and now it messes with their head. But again, I mean, right. this goes back to like that charity stuff. Churches do it really well. Charity work, uh, community work, helping people who are part of their group. Churches do it really well. I'm not saying that sarcastically. They genuinely do it. We don't have that sure. infrastructure and we don't have those type of groups. We, we just don't. It's on us to show people we can be caring, compassionate, because I don't doubt the research you just mentioned. Um, and right. that's a hard thing to overcome. And it's it's a hard it's one of the reasons I think some atheists think if I just give you the right arguments as to why God doesn't exist, you will stop believing in God and walk away from church. And a lot of people don't. And it's like, why aren't they doing it? It's because the church provides them with so much more than the Jesus stuff. 
that for a lot of people, it's really hard to walk away from all that. Knowing you have friends mm-hmm. there, if you lose your job, they're going to take care of you. If you're sick, they're going to take care of you. They've been there for you. It's true. We don't have as atheists that kind of infrastructure or anything. Um, now, can you find that sort of community in other ways that are not church? Maybe. I don't know that atheism would be the glue that binds it all together. But, I mean, we've seen these communities form in ways that might be weird to older people, like whether it's, you know, people you play video games with together over Twitch and they're talking to each other, but they become close. They become close-knit, even if they're not necessarily geographically close. Or you find Mm -hmm. bonds in other ways locally because you are joined for some common cause. You do end up finding those communities. They don't have the money or the infrastructure that churches do. But that seems to be a direction a lot of people are going, especially when their churches end up doing a lot of harm. And that's so many of the stories Mm -hmm. we've seen in recent years where it's like, it's not the Catholic Church alone that's doing like child abuse. It's happening in a lot of churches. And when it comes to the authoritarianism or the treatment of women, it's your church, you know, that's doing all these horrible things. So whatever you thought the church had to offer in terms of values, they're not as great as you imagine and that pushes mm-hmm. people out of those things. Again, we don't have the money or infrastructure to match them on those fronts, right. at least by atheism alone. But I think one of the ways you change that is showing, well, here's an atheist who happens to be compassionate. Here's an atheist charity that is raising money for this cause. They don't have the money of like Franklin Graham's ministry, but they are doing these awesome things. Let's get that out in the public and talk mm-hmm. about it more. I think that helps. And by the way, this is one of the things I love about YouTube and podcasts, you hear so many more voices that are so different from the new atheist mold. And those are the ones reaching newer people, which is Mm -hmm. fantastic. Like, I love that there isn't just one popular person that they all kind of point to on those on TikTok or whatever. There's a whole bunch of them and they're all awesome in their own right. Like, that's interesting. That's a good thing that will help change in the future. Yeah, and I, let me, you know, shout out a couple things in there. You know, the the stuff that I've seen suggests that when individuals are members of some local org, it helps with things like the higher rates of depression that you see amongst non-believers because yeah. they experience the immoral stereotype and stuff like that. And also I want to give a shout out, obviously, to Foundation Beyond Belief, which is an org that you're yeah. involved with, which is I a secular yes. charity organization. Yes. Or used to be, excuse me, used to be. That, yeah. like, to me, that kind of work really is a lot of nuts and bolts sort of mm-hmm. pushing back here i've i've man i have so many questions i realize we're running short on time here so um maybe you stick around I'll a little bit and we'll talk a little short. bit more yes <laughs> um but let me ask you this one final question and then we'll get to the enlightening round i always like to wrap All up right. by asking about you know resources that you would recommend for folks who want to dive deeper into this stuff or you know resources that like were particularly valuable for you on your journey or at this point in your journey hmm. i'm thinking uh what's weird i think for me is I became an atheist before all those books came out. Mm -hmm, So as mm -hmm. much as I know they've helped some people, they didn't do anything for me. Um, Honestly, it was, no one rushed me into a choice. It was kind of reading so many different things, reading science books, reading books about astronomy, the world, like the universe. That stuff kind of helped plug in all those things that I used to use God as an answer for. And once I no longer needed to rely on God as an answer for things. And it took a while for that to happen. I just slowly, these bricks kind of came into place to the point where I feel very comfortable in my atheism. Um, I think if I were to be religious and questioning things now, the answer is not to go to one person or gravitate to like one book, one mm-hmm. podcast, one anything. It's listen to as many of those conversations as possible. Um, I realize I'm not answering your question when I'm saying this, but it's, (laughs) look, do your search on atheism or whatever questions you have. Do your own research. Do your, I mean, to an extent, (laughs) it's do your own research, but part of it is listen to different voices and hear what they have to say, because I don't want you, Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to say this person has the answers and I like everything they have to offer, which might happen. There are some people, people gravitate toward, but it's like, oh, this type of debate is really interesting to me because I think this person makes good points. And let me hear another debate on that subject. Or let me read more books Mm -hmm. on this subject. Um, The more information you could take in, 
you'll get a better you'll get a better idea of what the answer is. I I don't think it's quite do your own research because I laugh at that phrase too. <laughs> um, it's okay. I mean, it's a non horrible version of that. Yeah, it's it's listen to different things. And if you are an atheist, listen. There's no shortage of people talking about it. I mean, personally, I talk about current events on my podcast. I try to give more evergreen topics on my YouTube channel. And the blog is more current events as well. But again, like I know the atheist experience with Dillahunty, they talk about, you know, age-old apologetics types of questions. But there are so many other people who are talking about it from their perspective, their personal stories. Here's the thing that really gets uh, them going mm-hmm. about it. And there's so mm-hmm. many. And honestly, it's it's do a search for the things you're interested in learning about and friggin' learn about it. Um, that's very <laughs> different from the Christian apologists who are very much just take all of our information and here's the right. books you need and here's all of this. I'm saying if anyone tells you I have all the answers, don't listen to them. Okay. I think that's a sufficiently robust non-answer that I'll let you pass <laughs> on that one. That's good. Um, so now, unfortunately, that means uh, I have to torture you. So okay. this is the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you a list of things. Okay. And what you're going to do is you're going to tell me, are these things real Ooh. or not real? Those are your only options. You don't get to define what real means. Okay. okay. You don't get to hedge. It's just real or not real. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So let me check. First of all, I got a test because it's a philosophy podcast. (laughs) Is anything real? Oh, God. Sure. Okay, great. Let's find out what's real. (laughs) So the external world, real or not real? Real. Okay. Colors, real or not real? Real. (laughs) phenomenal consciousness real or not real i need more definition there uh the the something it's like to be you inside your head oh no not real (laughs) no real free will this is not a non-answer i genuinely don't care and i don't think about it (laughs) you have to pick an answer for this i know statisticians need to know your answer here buddy yeah it's real Okay. Uh, Selves or persons? I mean, real as a physical object? Sure. Okay. Genders? Depends how you define it. So I'll say not real. Because everyone defines it. Using your own definition of gender. Okay. Races? I want to go back only because it depends on what that definition is. And since I'm not allowed to ask you, if you gave me a definition, I know. So that's why. Okay. What was the next one? Uh, races same thing not real but we can okay that's 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 all you get yeah species not real morality not real rights not real knowledge abstractly sure real we can (laughs) learn more stuff yeah okay god or gods not real Society. Real. Money. As a physical object? Yeah, real. As a (laughs) con, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Numbers, real, real, real. Fictional characters. (laughs) Is this some logical trap here? I mean, they're real (laughs) as fictional characters. It's, you know, it's just. Feels like a brain teaser. I know. Yeah, it's what we're here for. Holes, like a hole in the ground. Real. <laughs> Chairs. The sad thing is I'm trying to think of who's going to use this against me and why. Yeah. Uh, real. Luckily, the stakes remain very low for this. Yes. All right. All real. Right. Sandwiches. Real. Science. Sure. Real. Natural laws. What do you mean by natural laws? Like gravity? Because, yeah, like the speed of light. Oh, yeah. Real. Beauty. In the Ivy Bowl. Yeah, real. Love. Same. Real. Causality. Uh, I need more than that. (laughs) Does cause and effect happen? Yes. Real. And finally, time. Ooh. Real. Okay, you survived. How do you feel? Horrible. (laughs) <laughs> this is for posterity so i appreciate your honesty by the way if you ask me tomorrow my answers would change on probably half of those 
very common, pretty pretty yeah. much standard for everyone okay. who takes this test. Okay. So uh, that's that's quite usual. And maybe we can chat a little <laughs> bit about your answers in the VIP segment. But in the okay. meantime, Hemet, um, I really appreciate you coming on. Do you want to let folks know where they can find you across the various internets one more time? Yeah. Um, if you're on YouTube, type in Friendly Atheist. Uh, podcast is Friendly Atheist Podcast. And if you're on the interwebs, onlysky.media. That's where I write now. But if you just do a Google search, you'll find me there. Yeah, we didn't even get to talking about the hilarious history of Only Sky. But um, <laughs> thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks, as always, to our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. Thanks to our top-tier patrons, our Archon-level patrons, Lauren Shielding. Sometimes I struggle to come up with new usernames worth saying. Today I didn't even try. Dude, fix the vote. Any election lawyers want to pioneer a case on the California Fair Maps Act? Chad T., Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, and our Archduke-level patrons, Big Easy Blasphemy, Creepy Little Void Eyes, and Dave Maslich. If you'd like to support the show, please check out my other show, Philosophers in Space. And while you're at it, check out our wonderful editor, Louisa Lyons' Film Live Musicals podcast. Leave them all a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can also follow me on Twitter at ETVPod or email me at voidpod at gmail.com. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes and bonus VIP content. Most of all, whatever you don't believe, you are the void and the void is you.